Hey, what's up? This is Abby Martin from Media Roots and Breaking the Set. Um, my brother and I recorded an entire hour and a half episode two days ago when Ukraine was mid-uprising and now there's been pretty much a coup of the government. Um, they're saying that the president's wanted for mass murder for of peaceful protesters. Europe is embracing the new leader. Russia's condemning the move. Of course, we know where the U.S. stands. Uh, a lot of crazy shit going on, you guys. Um... I don't really know what I think about it. I'm going to need some time to digest all the information and, and find out what's really going on. But just keep in mind that we did record this uh, two days before um, the takeover of the opposition in Ukraine. So, all right. Have a good time listening to the episode. Bye. Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is your host, Abigail Martin. This is your co-host, Robbie Martin. We're in D.C. together. My brother's performing on the show. It's going to be awesome. Um... We have our little setup here. It's really, really chill. Lots going on. Lots going on. We're, we apologize for the delay in episodes, but there's so much shit happening. Um, Cold War Two, part Cold War Part Two, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> Cold War Two in full effect. Obama's going to go down as the American president who reignited the Cold War, even though it never really ended. But it's like yeah. super ramped up. Yeah, ratcheted up to a level that. I have not experienced since I've been a small child, you know, like, like you remember movies like Rocky four, where it's basically just like pro American anti-Russian propaganda, like straight through or red Dawn, you know, movie about like communists, Russia hiring, like, you know, South American guerrillas to invade the United States. I mean, it seems like it is getting to that level again. Like even the new, just coincidentally, even the new, like Jack Ryan movie, that's out right now is about like a Russian terrorist trying to like destroy the United States. So shit's just getting weird. So the Americans smear campaign. Oh yeah. Let's, let's, let's first, let's start. I mean, it's all, it's full spectrum. Right, right, so it's right. Like we got to sh- We got to talk about each facet. Okay. So we'll, so I think before we get into uh, the Sochi stuff, cause that's really insane. Mm-hmm. And that's still going on right now. Um, Ukraine has erupted full fledged violence on the streets. Uh, dozens of people have died both police and protesters uh really really insane what's going on in the streets right now um this all started apparently because ukraine's leadership decided not to go with the eu trade deal and instead just like drop it and kind of go with russia so russia and the eu like the eu was trying to pressure ukraine to take this trade deal and they said no ultimately like they just sided with russia and they said we're going to like stick with russia and that's what according to our media that's why like the protests erupted i don't really understand what's going on, on the ground i know it's extremely complicated i i hate to paint things with a broad brush but what i do know is you know and of course like not i, I support people who want change like who are fighting for change in the streets i think it's amazing um however when you hear the rhetoric coming from this government um obama just came out a couple days ago and said that there will be consequences if ukraine's government does not stop brutalizing protesters and you know when i hear something like that it's super fascinating because you know this this shit only broke down a couple of days ago really Mm -hmm. like really crazy like this maybe a couple weeks ago to be generous but 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 to just totally skirt diplomacy or anything like that and just to be like you need to have an interim government because you're not treating the protesters well it's like 
what? It's like, first of all, you coordinated a, a federal crackdown of all the Occupy camps and brutally harassed and beat like not you personally but like the coordinated crackdown of occupy i mean tear gas batons rubber bullets mass sweeping arrests of thousands of activists all across the u.s i mean whole cities taken over hundreds of thousands of people in the streets in new york on the brooklyn bridge barely a peep or acknowledgement no concessions mm-hmm. nothing i mean there was absolutely like no dialogue at all well abby they broke windows and and that's that's more newsworthy than like the new populist uprising happening. That was what, I mean, that was all that was in the news. They broke star windows, you know, mostly done by like black block protesters who weren't part of the main protest movement, or there were dirty encampments of a bunch of hippies or that rape story. Remember mm-hmm, that like mm-hmm. in the new, like um, in Zuccotti park, mm-hmm. it was like someone got raped apparently. And that was like that. I remember that headline was actually bigger <laughs> than anything from Occupy, like coming out of the mainstream news, you know? So So the lesson that we've learned now is that this government will support pretty much violent uprisings. And I'm not saying that Ukraine's uprising isn't legitimate. It's very complicated. We'll get into kind of the nuances in one second. But basically this government won't support peaceful protests like here in the U.S. They'll crack down brutally on them. But abroad, if you're in Venezuela or Ukraine and you're throwing Molotov cocktails, apparently to them, that is completely great. We should all support that. And immediately these governments should step down and allow the protesters to take over, I guess, like to take over the parliament. And and when you say abroad, I, I I think it has to also fit another characteristic, which is does this country have any strategic interest for the United States whatsoever and if it doesn't then i don't think we would necessarily support one or in the and then the third instance is if like the multimedia and broadcasting from this certain protest happening is like undeniably you know really horrendous to watch like if protesters are getting shot if there's like fires everywhere it's almost like the salaciousness of the media coverage in some ways would force the united states to make some kind of statement of of it but it's, I mean, it's, it's almost like a perfect, quote, coincidence that it's like the Ukraine and it, you know, could politically damage Russia, you know. If- and it, yeah, I mean, someone else was just out there, Carrie or someone like basically blaming Putin for all everything that's happening in Ukraine right now. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's weird. I mean, Ukraine is a client state of the Cold War. It's an old Soviet tie. Mm-hmm. And if we're ramping up the Cold War 2.0, that's just another facet to knock down for Western imperialism and like the expansion of like the, these, you know, dichotomous power play yeah, powers rather that be in the, in the world right now. And, and is this like, this is as far as I know, this is only like the third major, um, I mean, it's not a war yet, but like the last two times there was any sort of like American intervention or like lots of like PR involvement in that area of the world was for the, like the Ossetia thing that happened, you know, where like the entire Western media was basically characterizing it as like an aggressive, like invasion, almost like Iraq mm-hmm. you know, versus Kuwait or whatever. And then before that there was Kosovo. So that's sort of like the Eastern Bloc, you know, I don't really know if it's like geographically located. Is it like underneath Russia? Or like in between Russia and... I'm, I'm not sure either, yeah. yeah. So it would be interesting to go back and look at some of those events and see how the U.S. 
you know, I mean, Bosnia and Kosovo is obviously like a much bigger deal, but yeah, it's strange. It's just really strange how this is coming on the heels of what already seems like an orchestrated, like anti-Russian smear campaign happening from the United States. Like that's, that's full spectrum. Right. You know, I mean, I totally support the people of every country to overthrow their governments if they, if they find them oppressive. Like, I, I don't know what's happening on the ground. I know, once again, it's very nuanced, very complicated. However, what I do know is that the U.S. supports this regime change. They, you know, when Obama's coming out there and saying that, like, saying all this shit, it's just like, dude, like, I do see, I mean, these, these protesters are, first of all, they're extremely well-equipped. They're burning giant <clears throat> flaming fences and stuff and my brother and i were saying i guess that's what we need to do here like mm -hmm. i guess i guess we need to step this shit up because we're i mean if that's what it's going to take to to you know i'm of course i'm being i'm being <laughs> facetious, facetious right now but i mean is that what it's going to take to get obama to be like all right like you know what we should like really listen to the protesters they're like burning like giant walls uh -huh. of yeah, fire yeah. Like, <laughs> well just imagine yeah that we were we came up with a funny example like if people were burning walls of flaming tires and, th and throwing Molotov cocktails, wearing gas masks and body armor, like surrounding the white house. Would anybody in their right mind say, <laughs> okay, let's, let's let these they guys win. take over now. They win. Let's switch the regime out. <laughs> these guys ultimately won. I mean, it's just so funny the way that we are this, these children of the empire that we have such a distorted view of the world that we can have the gall to even suggest that as just being citizens, you know, if you're right. in the government it's different because like you're a fucking psychopath, like chessboard, you know, mm -hmm. world chessboard player anyways. But like just as for a citizen to be like, yeah, like take out that government. It's like you have no fucking idea what that country is like or anything about it. You know, Egypt, Libya, any of those countries, really. All you have to go on is you see videos on YouTube of like protesters either getting shot or run over by cars. But in reality, like. It's just, it just, it's so easy for us to like say something like that, but it's, it's actually very offensive to think that we have no cultural understanding whatsoever of like Eastern Europe or even the Middle East, you know, when it comes to, and then look at the way Obama was so lukewarm about the Egyptian, you know, green oh, he revolution. Was so... He was like, well, Hosni Mubarak is a stalwart ally and all this shit. And then it was only until like the they, second they half. They forced him, yeah, yeah. Until there was no turning back. So it's it's curious to me what why this is different you know why is this immediately being latched onto by the united states and i think it's because you know they don't have as much investment political investment into the ukraine as far as like they don't need the ukrainian leadership as like allies it doesn't gain them anything and then also they want to use anything they can to create like a leverage against the, the russian regime let me be clear i'm talking like obama right now let me be clear we support uprisings that are populist uprisings and like yes of course i don't understand anything about ukraine enough to say what is going on is is correct what like what they're calling for or whatever what i do know is that client state actors should stay out of uprisings like in other Absolutely. sovereign nations and and sadly i mean they probably at this point in in history world history if unless the country has absolutely nothing to offer any client state right. resources wise political anything then it's a given that a client state that's more powerful than it is infiltrating it and trying to sway the direction of that so-called you know in this case 
who knows you know if it's a legitimate populist uprising at this point or if it's being co-opted i mean it's almost like an inevitability and and can you george galloway brought this up can you imagine if if putin or like someone from or like mevnidev was in an occupy camp like cheering on like like just came to occupy and he was like you guys deserve a better president yeah. like it's just the, the gall or to go around to like canada and mexico and try to like like garner revolutions there it's like no, what that, in that the hell thing, like yeah. john mccain and carrie john mccain was on the streets of kiev yeah right after he went to syria <laughs> you know i mean like what in the hell is going on yeah. who are these people to t- to try to like revo- like get people to revolt against their governments. I mean, it's just disgusting. I just cannot yeah. imagine the hypocrisy of someone from like the Russian government. And of course, Russia should have nothing to do with Ukraine either. That's horrible. What Russia has done to control Ukraine over the last couple of decades is horrible. I don't support that at all. But for fuck's sake, let's not let the U.S. destabilize another country. Mm-hmm. My God. I mean, not only... So there was this tape that came out from the Assistant Secretary of State, Victoria Noland. This was like a couple months ago where it got leaked. leaked. And, yeah. and I think it was probably the Russian government who like hacked the phone and whatever. I mean, that's what everyone's doing apparently now. Fuck it. <laughs> um, like, you know, this phone call was like yeah. hacked and leaked and it was extremely embarrassing for this woman. Not embarrassing enough to do anything about it, apparently. But what she was saying in it to another State Department official was that like throwing out very casually all the people that they would like to see like replacing Ukraine's government. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, like it'd be great if like this guy got in. And then they were like, oh, fuck the EU. Like we're going to like bypass the EU and like do all this shit. So that was one thing. And then I just saw Paul Craig Roberts wrote this article talking about um, the protests there. And he, he linked to this video from December 13 at the National Press Club where that same woman, Victoria Nolan, the Assistant Secretary of State, was talking to this audience, this pro-regime like regime change Ukraine think tank or some shit. And she said in the video, and we'll link to it on the timeline right now, but she said that the U.S. has invested $5 billion in Ukraine on the ground in Ukrainian institutions since 1991, since their independence, to foster civil society, whatever the hell that means, and to give Ukrainians the future they deserve. I mean, if that's not like a pro-U.S. puppet state, then what the fuck is that? And where, what institutions have they been yeah, investing $5 in? $5 billion is a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Yeah, Into what? I mean, I would like to know what the hell is going on. No, and It's very never, sad. Well, yeah, it is, it is just really sad that, you know, I mean, I can't really say much about the revolution, and I just wish more people didn't get sucked into like taking the these sort of like um you know sides of about well yeah of course we should you know support regime change or in syria same thing you know like it just seems really entitled and egotistical for us to say that you know let's work on our regime change yeah yeah or just not feel that we are entitled enough of a country to to decide <laughs> if another country should even have regime change. You know? right. I mean, unless it's like clearly like a criminal regime that's like murdering people, you know, like something like in the Sudan or something like that. Right, where right, right. Like where it's like super, actually taking place. Yeah. But it's just, I just don't think any Americans have a true understanding of the world. That like even. Yeah. And it's like judged. of all countries, America is the one who's choosing. It's yeah. like, they, we're like the least knowledgeable about mm-hmm. like world affairs. Like, and, I mean, and it's, it's embarrassing. Yeah. And I was just thinking, 
you know, while you're talking about how all these protesters are so well mobilized, like it's interesting that when it comes to any U European Union states that have like really violent protests like Greece or things like that, the US just doesn't talk about it at mm -hmm. all, you know? Because though because we it's like we've already just made a decision, you know, even if a protest got big enough there where we saw like fires happening in Athens, like all over the place or something. Like, I don't even think the U.S., they would wait as long as they possibly could before it became actually politically damaging for them to right. be silent about it. So like Obama probably wouldn't talk about like a Greek populist uprising until a poli Greek policeman kills a bunch of protesters or something like that, you know? Then he would almost be like forced to talk right. about it. But this is different in the sense that we've already... We've ha been invested in whatever this is for even before this shit really hit the fan. Apparently, like almost two decades. Yeah. Now. So you have to really wonder, like in Egypt and Ukraine, like why do we take a different approach to it in terms of like our rhetoric about it? It's very, it is very starkly different. And of course, the people that I feel the worst for are the Ukrainians because they're the ones who are in the middle of this world power play and it's so sad and we were gonna say we wanted to give a shout out to like anyone out there who has finances i mean we are talking about why occupy failed and you know obvious other than the obvious like there was no like one demand you know it was like so many different issues like other than that mm -hmm. it was really like the first time that a populist uprising happened here criticizing the system as a whole and i think that's why it's like it was so convoluted because we didn't know where to go with it it was like all right we know everything's fucked up like what now like all we can do is kind of just like go out there and make our presence known of how fucked up everything is but the reason ultimately why it failed i think is because of these crackdowns because i mean how many times can you get beaten up and arrested and like dealing like you know you're the morale like dealing with like the processing through jail like paying fines like all this shit over and over again i mean i know people who are arrested like eight times in occupy like over the course of the entire thing it's like how many times can you go through that like physically or like getting beaten like yeah. putting yourselves on the front line of these things and we were we were just saying like looking at ukraine and seeing how well equipped these people are i mean they like look like some of them like look like riot cops yeah, I mean, they're like they totally shields have, like, masks and everyone has gas masks like shields really well equipped and apparently that's what we need to do like apparently the next time there's an occupy style thing we need to like all have gas masks and if there's anyone out there who can finance maybe like a fund like a protest pre preparation fund so we can really start preparing ourselves because i don't like it's it's just a matter of time before something happens again and like we are facing I mean, especially in Oakland, we were talking about this last night about other police forces around the country, as brutal as they are, there's no police force that's as silent and militarized as Oakland. And right now, Oakland is building this giant surveillance hub. Yeah. Seattle was probably the only comparison that you can make, the way they responded to those WTO protests. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really where it's sort of like the new style of, you know, that was obviously before 9-11, but I think that was like the kernel of how, you know, the police knew what to do in those kind of situations. Like just stoic, completely militarized behavior. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in, in Europe, you see the same thing pretty much. But in Europe, the people, when they protest, they're, they're not afraid more aggressive. of the cops. Yeah. I mean, they'll take the tear gas canisters, throw it back. I mean... 
that's it's like if the police are going to beat us up anyways for just being there, then it's like why not at least defend ourselves physically, right? And like wear gas masks, wear body armor. I mean, that in of itself is not a violent action. It's almost just like a defense against your own safety. You're there publicly protesting, and that's your right to do. And if you need to wear a gas mask and body armor to be able to stand there for as long as possible, then that is kind of what needs to be done. That is anybody who who can do it because unless police see that we're not that we're you know unless they what am i trying to say if police don't see um that we can stand up to them like that i don't think they're gonna ever really back down in a situation like that like they we need to intimidate the police back and you know not by doing anything violent but by basically showing them that they cannot just arbitrarily commit violence on us and have us be like affected like run by it away, and run away and they just yeah. like throw like chemical weapons at us and yeah. just run exactly chemical yeah. agents will be used god i'll never forget that it's so traumatizing mm-hmm. when that happened and it's like a woman it's like the last two times i heard it it, it was, was like a, woman a woman's voice, voice. yeah chemical Makes agents it a little will easier. be deployed <laughs> please leave the area disperse the area chemical agents will be deployed total total recall status but you know there's two things that are really scary about the system that's been institutionalized in terms of like squashing protests in this country. One of them is these, uh, is the NATO three that these guy, these kids who were just like very like dumb kids, of course, planning for the NATO protest. This was like, I think two years ago or something. And of course, like every fucking protest, a police, you know police are there infiltrating the group this is like months before it even happened like they were like on the ground infiltrating any sort of activism that was like in preparation for the protest and so they latched onto these three guys and basically tried all their might to try to like get these guys to do like dramatic terrorist actions like let's go blow up a bridge let's go like blow up obama's headquarters guys and the kids were like no no that's crazy no no and finally they just like convinced the guy like all right let's make molotov cocktails like that was like the the best they could do yeah was like convince one of these kids to build a molotov cocktail so the kid like goes and like buys the shit for it boom terrorism charges like Mm -hmm. boom he's like facing they fucking try to charge all three kids as terrorists look at ukraine there's people throwing fucking molotov cocktails everywhere the shit the city's on fire i mean Mm. i just don't understand (laughs) how that's terrorism here like preemptively there's a premeditated molotov cocktail and that's a terrorism charge apparently thank god chicago or whatever like the illinois state knock down the terrorism charge yeah but they're still facing upwards of like 30 years in prison yeah for for literally not building a molotov cocktail like for i mean that shows you the if that's not a chilling effect like i don't know what is and also that girl this poor girl in new york who first of all the nypd are are disgusting they're not as like super militarized as as other police forces but they're like super just disrespectful and like Uh just like like this camaraderie of like yo like like just assaulting and abusing women and shit like i was in new york for a lot of the occupy stuff after the main encampment was over and like the contempt they have for like women and stuff like just very like outwardly like insulting like Mm -hmm. in their like new york accents and stuff you're like what the fuck they they would like sexually 
abuse women. Like I read multiple reports and it was like a tactic, obviously, because it was happening like not just an isolated case, but they would like shove their fingers like up girls' vaginas, like as they're arresting them, mm-hmm. like grabbing their like breasts and like bruising them. And then this one woman who was getting arrested, this cop grabbed her tit and she like pushed him. She's she has been facing a felony with like a seven year sentence. What's her name again? Penny something. I'll look her up. Is that the one who was like unconscious and then the yes. crowd was watching and she and the was police unconscious. like literally put her in yep. cuffs and dragged her onto the yep. paddy wagon? That's exactly yeah. what happened. That's a really disturbing video for anyone who has we'll and, linked and to she that was covered in bruises. Yeah. She's facing seven years in jail. They've basically destroyed her life for the last three years, prolonging this trial. So like mm-hmm. what is she gonna do? She has to like wait till this chapter is over in her life so she can move forward. Finally the trial's coming like happening. And it's like this is what they'll do. Like, this is the extremes that they'll go to commit the chilling effect on protest here. Yeah. That's what's so crazy. Anyway, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> well, it is crazy. And I also think that it shows that they, you know, whoever's devising this, these types of tactics and whoever's militarizing police, ultimately, I think it means that they are afraid of a real populist uprising Absolutely. in the United States. It almost, to me, you know, yeah, people can talk all they want about how an armed revolution, you know, will be like the final solution or I don't know, that's a terrible use of that phrase, will be like the final, you know, way to like defend ourselves against the government. But I truly believe that government is more afraid of intelligent, um, educated activists who have a very specific cause that are nonviolent protesters, mm-hmm. you know, like animal um, activists, you know, the so-called eco-terrorists, uh, those are the people who really pose a threat because, um, I don't know. I think that that, that crack those kind of crackdowns and that kind of fear on displayed by the police to like set up some guys for building Molotov cocktails. They are designed to send a chilling effect, and they're designed to send a chilling effect to normally you know nonviolent activists. But and I I mean I I think that that's almost like a good sign, and it shows that. A vi- like a non-violent populist uprising here can really, you know, is a really big threat to them. And that's oh, the absolutely. only reason why they have militarized themselves so thoroughly. Right. It's not to fight terrorism. It's not to fight any of that shit. It's to fight you and Us. me. Yeah. And it, yeah, what's so amazing, it's like riot, can, like they wear all this riot gear, like armed to the teeth. And like, there's no, like, they'll just like, we'll just be standing there as what happened in Oakland and they'll just disperse chemically, like for no reason. It's like, there's no riot. Like, I, and you're supposed to already be equipped for that. Like, that's why you have shields. That's why you're like totally armed. It's like, I, I just don't understand this mechanism of just like aggressively dispersing. Well, it's ob- it's obvious why. I'm just saying like logistically, it's almost it makes like an no experiment. sense. Yeah, it is. It's like, it's like, we'll just wait for the protest to be big enough and the news cameras to be here so that we can show people all over the country that if they do this, you know, and, and yeah, you're right. The, the, the like amount of people on the streets and what they were doing did not constitute like the, you know, did not validate them to use something like tear no. gas. I mean, I, I mean, I was only there for the one time uh, that they did it, but like, yeah, there was someone lit a dumpster on fire, but you know, the police, uh, 
a few police could have come in and stopped that if they really wanted to. And they could to. have arrested the guy. It was very obvious. Yeah, it was just exactly. like a couple people like lighting shit, like they yeah. lit a dumpster on fire. Just and like, like they could have arrested the black bog people who run outside of the marches dressed in very easy to see who they are. <laughs> they wear in scarves with their face and just start breaking bank windows. Like instead the cops choose to just tear gas a crowd full of people with like women pushing baby carriages. Yeah. I mean, that's just, it, I, I do think that it, it's a sign of fear that they need to do these like public displays of force. Yeah, this one time, and this people could have died. There was this empty lot in Oakland, and all the police forced everyone into this lot. Do you remember that? And it was during like one of the marches. It was like they like rallied. They like forced everyone. These lines of police forced everyone to this empty lot that was surrounded by a fence, and then they tear gassed people inside the lot wow yeah there was like tear gas and shit and people knocked down the entire fence because people were actually climbing over people like someone could have died like wow. it was you, really dangerous was there, is there footage of that yeah jesus christ yeah someone could have died and after that happened i was just like they are not fucking around like they they're no. trying to shut this shit down like really hard i mean was anybody ever held accountable no. or for anything no. that happened to the scott olsen when he got a tear nope. gas Jean, canister I, shot at his I, I wonder if he won a lawsuit ever i mean gene kwan like bounced town like the mayor of oakland downside and this is how they're basically this is how they're coming back at us and i think oakland's really like a spot where they're focusing on because of what how aggressive oakland was during occupy but they are building this huge domain awareness center it's called the dac city council's trying to f f battle there's all these people trying to battle this and it's going to be a the biggest fusion center probably in the entire country mm -hmm. a department of homeland security total surveillance good where they're just going to pull in license plate readers and yeah. And, and all the cameras and they're going to build like a huge surveillance grid more so than there already is in any given city all over Oakland data mm -hmm. mine everything track everything it is going to be really scary and if this isn't stopped then it's just going to be like a blueprint for every other city and it's also going to be like look at what we were able to do yeah and I think it shows that the who, you know the people who run the city of Oakland and even you know Homeland Security or whoever's like farming these training programs into the Oakland police force, there is a sense among, I think, the ranks of these people that Oakland is a potential powder keg. Like if right. there was a populist uprising in the United States, Oakland would be a very like high on the list for where it would start. Because if you think about just the things that have happened since Occupy, uh, uh, Lori and I, when we, when we go down to the art walk, you know, the first mm -hmm. Friday thing, I, I noticed this, you know, like immediately after Occupy sort of fizzled out, they started opening up more and more of um, Uptown Oakland for the art walk and like cordoning off just these insane large amounts of city blocks for like kids in, and a lot of like the younger, like angry youth, you know, bored youth that you would see joining the marches at Occupy. They they let them just like take over the streets of Oakland every fri first Friday now. Yeah blow off steam you know whatever like go crazy like bring out their cars play really loud music in the middle of the street you know do whatever the fuck they want drink alcohol mm -hmm. in the, middle of the street and shit and i think that almost in a way that was an effective strategy for sort of like at least siphoning away some of that energy that really made occupy go over the top you know because if it was just the activists in occupy i don't think it would have been that big of a movement what they're really afraid of is like bored people in the city or people who are angry or poor coming out and joining these marches and protests, you know, because ultimately I think that's when things get like scary for them. 
And w- the first Friday thing is interesting because it's almost like it's almost like a way to sort of capture some of that energy and control it in a weird mm-hmm. way. Because when you were going to First Fridays, when you lived in Oakland, it was just like an art walk, you yeah, know, where yes. there'd be people, a lot of people on the streets, but it's turned into this crazy giant street party thing that reminds me of like Occupy. Mm-hmm. Like it almost seems like a little controlled, scheduled Occupy kind of thing. You know, nobody's holding up signs and shit, but it's like, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Especially when you, when you consider a lot of like how the younger people, you know, end up joining Occupy, you know. It is really disturbing. I wanted to mention this one thing. Um, Ray McGovern, a former CIA analyst, he was 71 years old at the time when this happened, but he, this just goes to show you the extent that they will track activists, Mm -hmm. like beyond just like, oh yeah, they're surveilling everyone. We already know that. But Ray McGovern, sweetest guy you'll ever meet, like the most gentle person. Um, He simply turned his back at Hillary Clinton at a speech that she was giving on coincidentally on like internet freedom and like how we should respect like Egypt's protesters like in the height of like the Egyptian revolution she's just preaching to this crowd about how horrible people treat protesters and as Ray McGovern stands up during a speech and all he does is turn his back on her you should see the arrest video because they like manhandle the shit out of him they like put him in a headlock and drag him out so hard and he's just like this is America this is America as they're dragging him out that wasn't what just happened though like he was yeah he was really abused he was covered in bruises there's photos of him whatever he gets arrested this is from two years ago this is from two years ago so what they found out is through a FOIA document through, through a FOIA request on him they found out that after this event the government put him on a something called a BOLO list which is that it's like a stop and interrogate list like for all police chapters to be like, oh if you see God. this person anywhere, like stop him, harass him, like make his life a living hell. Wow. Can you believe it? Like for doing that, wow. like imagine what people who do more than that, like, yeah. I mean, Christ. Well, and that, and that makes me really believe that the biggest enemy right now to the, the federal powers is our people from like, the sort of left, you know, they come from sort of the anti-war movement, the more liberal mm-hmm. like activism stuff. Because I can't even imagine them doing anything like that with like a Tea Party guy who just like got up in the middle of a speech and yelled out something about IRS or Benghazi. I think to the Obama administration at that point, that shit's just like passes right through them. Mm-hmm. They know that they've already It incurred. helps the partisan divide. Exactly, that too. And ultimately the partisan divide strengthens the democratic base and the votes that you know democrats will need in 2016 so what you know what glenn greenwald is doing um you know what snowden did uh you know what wikileaks was doing all all that kind of stuff what occupy was doing it's it's pushback from sort of the place that cannot be marginalized as like a simple partisan thing so essentially it needs to be like erased and or intimidated to really like stop it exactly they can't they can't confront it in a meaningful way you know like obama's not gonna ever like talk to occupy or try to like negotiate with them or anything you know i I can't imagine that happening that'd be really funny if it got (laughs) to that level but i mean it's not now but right i don't know it's well it's also just really disturbing because you know similarly what's going on in ukraine things are happening in venezuela um i 
for one, like really, I supported Chavez, even though I know that he wasn't like a perfect leader. Like I supported his like tenacity and indignation to stand up to the, like the Western mm-hmm. powers. Like I re- really respect that. Like I respect him like calling Bush the fuck out. Like like such balls. Like seriously insane. Yeah. And also just or like, like inviting Willie Willie Rodriguez yeah, like, to like hang out with and chill yeah, out with like, him and like personal friends with like you know Cindy Sheehan. Like yeah, I mean like I mean, they like, were all over the nine eleven. I mean he was so. so he was just like so like ballsy like i respected that and i respected how he like stood up a lot of people wouldn't do that i mean you could argue that the policies in venezuela were destructive or not i think it was like you know the fact that he that jimmy carter said that they're the fairest elections in the world and he won by such a sweeping margin i mean i don't know i mean i i'm not in venezuela i've never been to venezuela so i can't really speak to that but i do know that like the elections were fair um, you know, once again, you see Maduro, who was his successor. I don't think he's doing nearly like half as good of a job as Chavez did. He's obviously just there because Chavez told everyone to vote for him. However, like there are some things to criticize, of course. However, on top of that, the second that anything's going on in Venezuela, you see the same kind of reaction from this from this government. They're like, mm-hmm. carries like, once again, like we need to like have like an interim government or like this shows you how weakened Venezuela's democratic institutions are. You're like, what? You're like, dude, there hasn't even been a protest for like more than a week. Like you're already like telling the world that like, this is, this proves that Venezuela is like a weak country that needs to be like a a coup or like a regime change there. I mean, Christ, we already know that the U S was involved in a coup before we know that there was uh, Chavez's presence in that part of the world was a stick in the eye of the US government and we just have to be very wary of like manufactured outrage and all the support for like outside intervention because it just it's very transparent at this well, point manufactured outrage is is the best way to describe it because it's like stuff that you know inside of a vacuum might seem like it's worthy for, you know for for us to get outraged about you know and that's kind of what they do to us is they make it seem they it's like selective outrage over these certain countries doing these certain things but yet you don't see the same outrage displayed ever when it's from a country that we have no strategic interest in like taking over or making our puppet state like look at the way that we most you know overall ignored sudan and what mm-hmm. was going on like all that information about sudan was coming mostly from like the media at the time like i don't really remember anything from the u.s really taking like a hard line on it ever i mean no, it's all like celebrities anything? that came out and like yeah. begged the u.s to do something about so it it's like so it, it just it's so obvious that we only <laughs> that when a state official goes out and starts talking about regime change in any way for a country it's not because this state official cares about the people of that country i just hope people are smart enough to realize that yes while there is a kernel of truth to a lot of the propaganda the american government uses it doesn't mean that it's worthy of our attention, you know, like that's what they want us to do is to, is to latch onto that small bit of truth that, you know, that small bit of truth. And when I say small bit of truth, I mean, there is a lot of truth to the propaganda, like saying that, you know, Muslim countries have, you know, horrendous um, rights for women and gays and trying to use that to get us outraged about the Muslim world so that we will be, you know, we want to free him. With, we want to free him. Yeah, invading them or or intervening in some way, and especially with Syria. Like, 
but you know then they have to go to certain lengths like saying we're you know we're going to draw this red line if they use chemical weapons and then lo and behold Assad for some fucking crazy reason decides to use chemical <laughs> weapons on his own people like after he's heard this out of Obama's own mouth like the most powerful nation in the world basically telling them they're going to like intervene if they do yeah. this and they do it I mean that is obviously very bizarre. You well, Seymour Hirsch, Seymour Hirsch came out and proved all of that wrong. That like like the yeah. they claim that the chemical weapons came from government controlled territory. False. I mean, like everything about that's false. Like I I am pretty convinced that it was the opposition that used them. Mm-hmm. Like it, whether or not they were accidentally discharged or not. Like the thing is, we'll never see the truth and we'll never see them held accountable. Mm-hmm. Whoever the hell is are these like pockets on the ground like i once again i'm not trying to delegitimize no. like actual syrian revolutionaries however the cia is on the ground that i know for sure mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's really to me it's just funny and selective outrage just if you can strip it back to the chemical weapons thing because oh, why God. is a chemical why is a chemical weapon something that is worse than a cluster bomb or like a depleted uranium you know bomb or, or shell or something like when you watch videos of the afghanistan copter footage of the apache helicopter shooting people in afghanistan it's like our weaponry isn't even designed to just kill someone it's designed to like obliterate their corpse into a puddle mm-hmm. on the ground so that there's like no body parts mm-hmm. left i just don't understand why a chemical weapon is worse than that it's not i mean I, I just don't under. It's just funny that that's even people buy into that. Oh yeah, you know, yeah It's yeah. like it's a WMD. It's like, well, what does WMD mean? It's like weapon of mass destruction. It's like, okay, well, how is a cluster bomb or white phosphorus right. even that melts through the bone? Yeah. And then they get away with saying, well, white phosphorus can also be used as like an incendiary, like lighting, you know, like a flare. But it's like, well, it can also be used as like an extremely damaging weapon that only like kills organic. That's you know, bullshit. Tissue. Of course, it's bullshit. The top 10 recipients of U.S. aid are all, like, egregious human rights abusers. They all, like, torture people. I mean, like, literally, someone just wrote a great article, and I put it on Media Roots, and I'll post it right now, but it really just breaks down the top 10 recipients of U.S. aid and how all of them torture openly, like, like, egregiously. And it actually stands in violation of U.S. law and international law, that the U.S. cannot, like, fund a country that's, like... Mm -hmm complacent or complicit in torture so we're actually like violating our own laws to fund these countries and obama could very well just be like you know what we are not giving any more aid to you if you torture if you are an egregious human rights abuser like we're gonna cut off your aid Mm -hmm. like how hard is that to do i mean it just shows you that it's just so hypocritical or how hard is it any sense or how hard is it for him to just go out and say that we are part of the international criminal court and we follow the geneva conventions again I mean, apparently it's very hard for him to do that because then he'd have to like close Gitmo and shit. Stop but, drone bombing people. Yeah, but I think a lot of this manufactured outrage shows that the Obama administration is concerned at this point of their democratic, losing their own democratic base. Like they're impervious, I think, to like Republican criticism at this point. The Republicans already hate him. You know, more, I mean, there's not, they can't hate him any more than they already do. So, you know, trying to get people upset about the Russian gay law and sending, um, you know, the Olympic, like, committee or whatever to Russia, like, comprised of, like, three gay, like, ex-Olympic medal winners or whatever, it's, it's an obvious ploy on his part to make the Democratic base or 
you know, gay Americans out there think that he's concerned about them. He's trying to get votes or, or trying to get the Democratic Party votes in 2016 or whatever. If Obama cared about gay rights, then he would federally mandate gay marriage. I think it's about that time that we federally mandate having equal rights in this country. The fact that like he's just like leaving it up to the states. All right, well, if you leave it up to the states, guess what's going to happen? Not only are they not going to pass gay marriage, they're going to pass bills like the bigoted homophobic bill that was just passed in Arizona that's attempted to be passed in yeah. Kansas. Yeah. I mean, if that's okay with him, like I guess that's what we should just accept. Like... I guess that's the state of gay... That's gay rights in this country. It's just like, mm-hmm. you better be sure as shit not to live in a state like Tennessee and be gay. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you just got to flock to like the more tolerant states if you want to be like openly gay. And that shows more of just how it's being used as a political tool. It's, it's in, in essence, what it's doing is it's trying to make America seem morally superior to Russia. And I mean... I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of this all goes back to Edward Snowden, you know, but I mean, things were already heating up, I think, and ratcheting up between Russia and the United States before that. But Which like, could be why he even gave him asylum. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's changed the game forever, you know, when that happened and when the U.S. actually didn't do anything about it, yeah. you know, because the U.S. tried to ground airplanes of all these other world leaders or who was it the ecuadorian yeah. president bolivian yeah um so i don't know I, I really don't know what it means but well let's talk a little bit more about the sochi hype because i've never seen i mean i i don't i guess i don't remember when the olympics were in china um i don't remember the media like honing in on like organ harvesting and like the execution of like falun gong prisoners and like labor camps of falun gong practitioners and stuff like that like i don't remember the media getting hysterical about like chinese like egregious human rights abuses and like no. mass de- like <laughs> mass incarceration and like capital punishment yeah <laughs> like, and like something like i think it was either two or three people died who were doing construction on the olympic stadium in beijing is that where the olympics were yeah i mean maybe i don't remember yeah so it's just uh it's clearly disproportional to other you know, oh, and it was even, it was interesting to me too, the way that they kept comparing Putin to Hitler on the radio. Like I was what? listening mostly to the radio and they were like, nobody has seen this much like direct involvement, you know, investment from like a, a country's leader before into like the pride in the Olympics since Hitler's, um, you know, in like 1936 Olympics wow. in Berlin. And so like that was, a, that was sort of like one angle of it. The hotel conditions were another angle of it. Um, the the gay law thing that Obama sent up a bunch of gay like Olympics for, Olympians for the Olympic Committee, um, and then the toothpaste like oh my terrorism. God. They hype. wanted they even a terrorist terrorism. attack so bad, Robbie. Yeah. They're like bummed. They're probably like crying that a terrorist attack hasn't happened in Sochi. Like they have wanted that shit so hard. Yeah. Like I've never seen a media more like like hoping that just something will happen to fuck it up. You know, so they could just be right. Like, it, yeah. it's just vile. It's mm-hmm. vile. Like, first it was the Black Widow thing, like, leading up to the Olympics. It was, like, all these Black Widows who were sleeper cells all around Sochi and, like, oh, Russia. Really? It was, like, the wives wow. of a different, like, like Chechen, like, Chechen Islamists, yeah. like, like, wives who, like, Weird. were, like, 
secretly like sleeper cells for the last decade and they're like gonna blow shit up and, and yes of course there was just a bus blown up and like of course they that is really horrific like there's terrorism in a lot of places and like there's a lot of um, fundamentalism in a lot of places we have to understand the roots of radicalization but however the media showing like cars exploding like Mythbusters style showing like what a toothpaste bomb could do hyping it the fuck up like I, it was just like reminiscent of just like post 9-11 fear mongering about like the shoe bomb first it's the underwear bomb then it's the shoe bomb mm-hmm. then it's the toothpaste bomb then it's the liquid bomb you know it was just like my god like for, and so the last two weeks even during the olympics i just saw a couple days ago now they're talking about how shoe bombs could possibly be going in oh and showing god. shoes exploding and stuff like wow like this is what the media That's is so putting their resources into it's t- it just seems totally orchestrated like once you know it could just be a pylon type of situation once the sort of anti sochi stuff started but it just seems way more coordinated than that to me and what was one more thing that i oh that yeah just the fact that they like have yeah videos on the news of like shoes blowing up and shit and then how weird is it too that all these like big corporations were starting to do like the rainbow flag olympic logo like google. the google home page and that's very interesting. You know, I've never seen them do anything like take a political stance like that on anything before. You know, like something that would be like remotely controversial like that. So that was fascinating and strange. I mean, the Sochi thing is so weird. And I really, it really all just, I mean, I, it obviously is like the reignition, the, the reigniting of the Cold War and like this anti-Russia mentality um really really is insane but what's funny is my friend went to the congressional hearing with clapper and the fbi director like basically like the head of like the head honchos that are running the show here and they were fucking obsessed with snowden he was just like literally like half of the three hour hearing was talking about like leading questions to all these like people that they were questioning like well couldn't couldn't there be a possibility that snowden's conspiring with putin like selling him secrets and Mm -hmm. he was like i guess there's a possibility like people were just like they didn't know how to answer it they're like well sure there's like a possibility that could happen yeah like is it like like they just are so obsessed with the notion that snowden's there and that putin is like somehow like conspiring with him working with him and it's like i don't know it just seems like this media stuff is just a smoke screen for like what's really going on on the hill yeah which is this obsession with like russia mm-hmm. it's crazy I mean, yeah i think that this taking in snowden for asylum i don't know if putin knew what he was doing when he did it but i mean i think that it really exacerbated what is was seemed to be like an escalating shitstorm. you know and i don't think that he shouldn't have done it i mean obviously i think edwards whatever snowden did was like a heroic act and he should be given asylum but i don't know i mean it definitely seems to things have very much changed i mean i wouldn't be surprised if you know in 10 years from now we were back to how we were like in the 1980s remember what oliver stone was saying when he was on the show about the reverse iron curtain like after the Cold War was over, the U.S. was, obs- or during the Cold War, however, the U.S. was obsessed with the client states that the Soviets were building around us. Like, we needed to, like, stop Cuba. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we, like, because yeah. it's the domino effect. Like, if they have one client state, then they're like, everyone will turn Soviet and communist. And what's fascinating is to see how the reverse has happened and is continuing to happen. 
There has been a reversal of the Iron Curtain where we are setting up colonizing states all around Russia. Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating. Iraq, yeah. Afghanistan, trying to get into Libya. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's like the axis of evil like type thing that Bush initially went out there and, and said. And it's just like, it's just so fascinating to me. Yeah. And you think about like what the resources, I mean, the Caspian Sea and like the Strait of Hormuz and like all these major junction points of like shipping shipping mm -hmm. lines and, and places to get natural resources from that Russia depends on. It is very, very fascinating to think that like we are basically like trying to essentially like make the two the other two world powers like Russia and China like be weakened or be have to, you know, go through our puppet states to get these things or whatever it's just really it's interesting when you think about it as like a long con yeah it's like we're not even yeah like remove emotion and just look at it as the grand chessboard i mean that's what it is yeah <laughs> it's like they're they're playing a very long strategy here this is like supersedes like a lot of a lot of this shit going on on the ground like I mean, there's like a big end goal here, um, pretty well laid out, like by pretty much every presidential administration, like what the end goals are here. Um, and then when you couple in corporations and like the takeover of corporate power, it's like, damn. Uh, I wanted to talk really quickly about how this, this crazy new stand your ground case with Michael Dunn, uh -huh. the Jordan Davis thing, just how insane it is that... You know, the stand your ground thing is another thing that people get really emotional about. And I think it's another polarized issue on the media because people have been paid, literally. ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council, has paid, funneled millions of dollars into like passing the stand your ground laws. And it's backed by Koch brother money and all this stuff. And so it kind of like feeds into this polarization when you see people on TV like arguing about it you don't know they're like representing a think tank that's literally like yeah. they're getting paid to like peddle this and like be polarizing on purpose. So it's really hard to talk about this issue. But in my mind, like it started off as the castle doctrine, which is like an actually a sound piece of legislation. Like you can defend yourself in your own home. Like if someone comes and like breaks in your home, like you can shoot and kill them like mm -hmm. in self-defense. Like that's your, you're like protecting your property. Like, of course, is there room for abuse? Absolutely. However, the stand your ground law is like a morphing, this like morphed bill out of the castle doctrine that somehow has been brought out like outside of your home where it's like, you have the right to like stand your ground, like a parking lot. Like if you like see a, if you're like an old white man and you see like a car full of black teenagers playing music loud, you could be like, you're offending my personal ground. Like respect me, like turn off your music. And then the kids say, no, apparently people think that that's like your ground. Like your ground is the parking lot that you have like authority over these people that are sharing this space mm -hmm. and that you have the right to consider that like a violation of your personal sovereignty. And thus you can like execute them. And doesn't it also, like, the wording in the law is very vague about, it's extremely open to interpretation about how if you perceive someone as being, as threatening your life, then you can stand your ground and kill them. But it doesn't say if the person, if they're holding a gun, if they're holding a knife, if they're coming at you with their fists, if they're yelling at you. Um, it doesn't say anything about if you're scared of their particular race. So for someone who is automatically scared of a black youth, uh, you know, wearing a backwards hat and listening to rap music in a car, you know, to a racist person, technically 
they're following the law if they felt like they were li- their lives were under right. threat right. by this black youth listening to music. Right. So it is really strange that the law in of itself allows for people's own prejudices to decide if they're if they can use deadly force or not. Right. You know, and it's not there a law like that if it really wanted to take like self-defense out of the home and protect someone who wa- had a gun and needed to protect themselves like against like a mugging or something then it would be very specific you know right. like there would be all this shit about you know if they have a you know what kind of weapons they have to have and stuff but it's so vague that it just seems like it doesn't make any sense it's really strange yeah and i just feel so bad for this kid's family because i mean you can argue about trayvon martin all day yeah. until you're blue in the face but this is a i thought that this would be a really cut and dry case like yeah me too guys, when I heard about you know it like guys yeah. shoots teenager dead in a car because he was playing music and like didn't respect like a white supremacist telling him to shut up like that it, it is so insane that he can get acquitted on that charge like i it makes me sick um and yes, for the people who are going to say stand your ground wasn't used as a defense, that's not true. We'll link to a total rebuttal of that argument right now in the timeline of, first of all, when you are justifying homicide in self-defense, stand your ground is already embedded in the law. So the jurors are, are aware of what the law already says, which is this embedded clause of stand your ground. Yeah. So that you can't argue that like they didn't use self like just because he wasn't using it as the primary defense of like in in the defense it shaped public perception exactly. already exactly yeah so anyway moving on i just it, it is just extremely crazy that that is happening right now um you know and there's cases like this all over the place there was just a that woman that poor woman who was just going to get help after a car accident and the guy like this guy in the car saw a black teenage girl as she was walking away, shot her in the back of the head and then called the cops. And it was just like, I just can't, like, what in the hell? Like she wasn't trying to like get in your house. She was like trying to get help. Mm-hmm. And, like the other guy, like this other like black football player, like tried to get help after a car accident again. Like I don't really crazy stories and a cop, a woman inside the house was scared. Rightly so. Like you don't know who this person's coming up to your house at, like mm-hmm. three in the morning. That's fine. Called the cops. The cops came up and just killed this guy. They shot him like eight times yeah. and killed him like without, and he had no Jesus weapon. It's Christ. like, what in the hell is going on? I don't know. It's it's kind of it just kind of scares me the idea of like, you know, that if uh, if some kind of populist uprising happening in the United States, like through infiltration or just through a lot of like dirty tricks, it wouldn't be that hard to like turn it into like a race riot kind of yeah. situation, especially in something like Oakland or you know other major cities like that. Like they could steer it or do something to manipulate things and in, in basically marginalize it as like a race riot kind of thing. It reminds me of True Detective. If anyone watches that show, it's really, really good uh, with Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey. But it's incredible because there's this one point in it. Matthew McConaughey is like this, like good. He's like a good cop, but he's like really like dark and brooding. But he like means well. But he's also like kind of fucked up. And there's this one scene where this woman's just like, "Oh, you're a cop. Like that's really cool." And he's just like no it's not he's like i could do really horrible things and get away and he's like with total impunity he's like it's a very very bad like i could be very dangerous yeah and it was just like damn like yeah i mean yeah i mean geez like and and if you're a white supremacist in in the police force then 
which I'm sure there are many, but don't worry, Robbie. I wanted to bring up the Chevron pizza apology. Um, Chevron owned, owned a (laughs) fracking rig Mm -hmm. that exploded in some like, you know, some town, Pennsylvania or some shit. And, you know, exploded, killed someone, like terrified everyone in the town, like caused a fire that lasted five days. And everyone's like, oh shit, like what's going on? And instead of like de- like upping their safety regulations or like setting up a compensation fund for like the people who are affected, they sent out a coupon from the Chevron community outreach team that said everyone gets a large pizza and a two liter bottle of soda. Sorry about that fracking hey. well that exploded. <laughs> hey, 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 get that pizza. <laughs> Uh, really just bizarre. I mean, it's about time that we kind of wake up to the corporate, like all this dirty energy shit that's going on fracking. Like in Obama's state of the union, he like preaches about climate change for a good amount of time, which first of all, I was surprised about because he barely talks about it. And then in the same speech, he's talking about how great fracking is. It was just hilarious. It's like, dude, fracking is terrible like i'm actually more scared of fracking than i am of like even like oil extraction because fracking can cause earthquakes and if you're like fu- like what if he's like fucking by yellowstone <laughs> like fucking up like fracking yeah, by yeah. yellowstone it like causes this the mega volcano well, it's such to an go- experimental it's like, like weird what in the hell are you doing to do it's just so desperate that they're having to resort to that to get natural gas. And out of why the do they have to resort to that we have you know i was just reading all this shit that we could be doing we could be laying out on freeways all across the united states solar grids over the the already the asphalt uh-huh. and be generating so much solar energy already on laid out asphalt yeah just alone i mean i can't even imagine what else is out there but like these are the technologies that we could adapt on top of our already existing infrastructure yeah well the problem with doing power like that is the industry would not be able to charge it would like it almost have to make like the price of energy go down over time. That's the problem. It's almost like the same reason why like cannabis clubs in the in California don't want marijuana to be legalized because then the right. price will drop. Right. It's like the more free and plentiful energy we have, the less power these energy companies ultimately you know have. It's just, it's a strange thing though because fracking to me and and things like fracking and you know having to um you know, drill under the Arctic ice and shit for oil is like such a desperate measure <laughs> that it just screams like that peak oil is like a real thing. And, and like, we're kind d- of like all fucked. <laughs> deep water drilling, like miles under the ocean. Like, yeah, wow, yeah. great idea, guys. Like what can go wrong? Oops. Yeah. Like what in the hell are we doing? Like, Jesus, everyone just please stop and let's try to invest in what we know can work and isn't completely catastrophic for the environment. Unbelievable. While we're on the subject of like, fictional television though let's talk about house of cards really quick because and we're not going to give any spoilers um other other than just talking about this concept that we just really enjoy where there's this plot line of us of a sting operation and if you haven't watched any of it yet like skip ahead like five minutes in the broadcast but it's amazing because obviously the people who have made this show are very keen on what's really going on and they know about the case of Barrett Brown, the activist yeah. who like posted a link from a, an informant that was setting him up, and now he's facing a hundred-year sentence in jail. Like these like hacktivists that are trying to like set like very high examples for to scare everyone. I love that they talk about his case, and I love that this is like kind of the same thing that's going on with this guy. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about it a little bit? Yeah, I mean they're definitely like very astute writers. Whoever write the show, and like this show is. This season, season two of House of Cards, um, 
you know, it, it almost, it was probably written like last year, you know, at some time, like maybe even before the whole Edward Snowden thing broke, but like they're very, they have like their finger on the pulse of like what I would consider like, you know, actually truly important, like political topics to a certain extent. I mean, some of the stuff they do in it is very like, you know, like partisan sideshow kind of behavior, like how the, you know, how the Democrats manipulate the Republicans to get them to do certain things. But, but I, I guess what's, what's great about the show is it's probably like the most realistic seeming show about American politics ever made. Um, and even though there's a lot of things in it too, that are like very extreme, you know, like murders and things like that. It's I don't know if that's too out of the realm of possibility. The no. only thing that's out of the realm of possibility well, we is that, it like, politi- sure. yeah, it's like the only thing that's out of the you realm know. of possibility is like these people are actually doing it themselves. <laughs> like they'd have like hired like thugs. yeah. Um, what's that guy's name? Joe Morning Joe. What's Joe Scarborough? Yeah, like we don't know for sure that Joe Scarborough like killed his intern and like banged her head with like a you know white like congressional office paperweight. But like that kind of shit's just really weird, you know, that like his congressional aide died like with a mysterious head wound in his office. And then all of a sudden he retires when he's like a super young freshman Senator. We don't know for sure if Bertha Champagne, uh, Bush's maid got crushed accidentally against the Mm -hmm. wall of like a secret service building outside from a car with no one in it. Yeah. Um, but you know, these things are like highly suspicious. We don't know that David Kelly, you know, uh, <laughs> I mean David I can't <laughs> oh, the David Kelly guy. the guy who um who leaked like the down, who basically like blew Downing the whistle on the Downing Street memo and and was saying the intelligence was false like we don't know that he didn't uh, just decide to take a stomach full of Tylenol and not wait for it to digest and just slit his own wrist against a for uh, a tree in the forest I mean we don't know that he didn't do that but um yeah, I mean, there's so many mysterious, you know, like the little Jim Garrison speech at the end of JFK is like, how many more plane crashes, heart attacks, you know, he goes through all these like, you know, acts of God style methods of death, you know, implying that the government, when they really need to kill somebody, when they just can't, they can't think of any other option to get out of a mess and they have to kill somebody, um, you know, I mean, the imagination goes wild and, you know, there have been a lot of suspicious plane crashes or things over the years or car bombings or car crashes, you know, that have happened like Michael, the Michael Hastings car crash. I mean, that shit's just really bizarre. Yeah, we, we, don't, do, we won't we don't have proof either way. We just know that it's extremely bizarre. We don't what know to that him. we don't know that Bruce Ivins was it Steve. Why am I? Why do I always mix them up? <laughs> Ivans, yeah, it's Ivans. We don't know that Bruce Ivans didn't, you know, take a stomach full of Tylenol. Being like a person who like works very closely with chemical compounds would know that that would be like an extremely painful way to die, and like s- decided to suffer for hours and hours and hours till the, his liver detoxified to the amount, to the point of death. I mean, we don't know that that didn't happen. It's very suspicious. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just very odd none of it really adds up um but yeah house of cards and what's so great yeah it's amazing because kevin spacey came out into this media blitz about the about the show and and it actually i think it was written after the edward snowden thing because they talk about prism They're, oh you're right yeah they they he, he's oh, like yelling at the right. guy and he's like he's like this is fucking real he's like my friends are in jail for 100 years for like exposing prism 
for like exposing like mm-hmm. government surveillance like obviously talking about barrett brown and shit even though barrett brown didn't expose prison but just like dropping the prison name i thought was cool you're right um but yeah no kevin spacey said on a bunch of shows he was like he was like has anyone been watching the news lately he's like the the plot lines are not crazy He's like, this is like the way DC works. He's like, political insiders have confirmed to me that 99% of the show is true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, the only 1% that isn't true is that you wouldn't be able to get an education bill passed that fast. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. that's the only part that isn't true is like the the speed yeah. <laughs> that like bills get passed. Like, I and mean, then, no, that's the way it is, dude. It is fascinating. I mean, in a small way, like, um, I mean, not in a small way, but like, the, like um, you know, the Douglas Stamper character in the House of Cards is... is Frank Underwood's chief of staff, you know, and Frank Underwood in the show currently, well, I won't say what he is because if you haven't seen season mm-hmm. one, he he's a different. He's season one starts with him being like the House Minority Whip mm-hmm. Democrat, um, and then he keeps climbing the ladder as the show goes on. But Douglas Stamper is like his chief of staff, you know, kind of like the Scooter Libby of Dick Cheney or the Karl Rove of of Bush, but. Um, you know, in real life, Dick Cheney used his surrogate of Scooter Libby to out um, Valerie Plame, you know, to out a CIA agent, to basically commit an illegal act and out someone inside the government who is like a covert position. You know, I was talking to my friend the other day who brings that up every time I talk about like the fact that the government might have known about 9-11 and let it happen at the very least. Brings what up? Brings up the fact that they couldn't keep a secret about how they leaked Valerie Plame. And I was like... Well, they wanted people. It was like a show of force. I, I like took the whole event as like, they knew that they were totally over the law, lo- like totally above the law. And they like released the name as just like a show of force, yeah, like punish her for her husband. Because they, right. and they, and they essentially pardoned him, even though they didn't technically, they commuted his sentence. He, he didn't go to jail. But that, but, but according to my friend, that's like, that's proof that like, they mm-hmm. can't even keep a secret that they like committed a felony by ousting a CIA. They didn't give a fuck. Does she not understand, or whoever this yeah. friend is? I mean, if, knowing what the Bush administration was like, they tortured people. They talked about how they did it. I mean, they did not give a fuck about breaking the law. I mean, they 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 were just like balls to I, the yeah, walls, I, hubris. Yeah. They didn't give a fuck. Like, if anything, I thought it was like they were like wanted people to know, like we yeah, they, fucking did it. Yeah, that's what you get. Mm-hmm. And the whole Patrick Fitzgerald like prosecution of Scooter Libby and stuff. It. Yeah, it just didn't really, I mean, it ultimately didn't amount to anything because he didn't even go to jail. But like, yeah, of course, I don't even think that they were even for a moment scared of that, what was going to happen there, you know? I mean, because Dick Cheney couldn't be traced back to that, apparently, you know? And Scooter Libby was probably so loyal that even if he had something on Dick Cheney that could show that Dick Cheney or Bush ordered that to happen... He knew that he'd be, I mean, virtually pardoned, probably. So that's the thing. It's like, of course, I mean, they're immune to the law. Right. That's how it works. Even the chief of staff ends up being immune to the law. Yeah. You know, so that's, it's just silliness. It's like, they don't, they just, they know how to do shit. And that's the great thing about House of Cards is House of Cards weaves these kind of things into like an actual dramatic story. You know, it's, it's ripped from the headlines and the way other shows are where they will have things intertwined in the story that parallel rea- like real events. Mm-hmm. But it's not done in like a cheesy way where it's just done for like, you know, oh, we want to just like West Wing. Like that show like the West Wing oh, is like a God. shitty ass War show piece ever. of shit. You know, it's like a show that basically was all about just 
paralleling the you know ripped from the heavens. Our show like twenty four. You know, just garbage t- television. House of Cards is like a rip from the headline show that does it in this in a way that is actually like really meaningful. And they cleverly pull these different things together that have actually happened in politics and create a very neat sort of like, you know, well-written story around them. I mean, they're not not around them, but I should say they use them to like yeah. aid the story. Yeah. Or these other shows, they write stories based around, you know, like an actual The West Wing was attack. almost just like a pro-government, like, hey, yeah. look at how great we are. Yeah. It was just bizarre. I mean, and that's the great thing about shows like House of Cards or even um, Thick of It. Thick of It's a British comedy about, it's not about DC, it's about, um, you know, British Parliament. But like that show, you know, does the same thing. It's just very, um, it has a very, very cynical view of government where that's like the main theme of the show. Is it like, Everyone manipulates shit. Everyone's playing the game. Everyone knows they're playing the game. Everyone lies, you know. And did you uh, <laughs> did you notice in House of Cards how this is another really cool storyline that I liked? They'll use and what's amazing is that like corporate media figures are like hired to be actors on the show to like pretend like they're giving fake newscasts like yeah, Rachel like Maddow, Maddow and like Hannity, Maddow, Hannity. All these people are in the show, but what's amazing is that it's actually a mockery of them if you think about it in the grand context of what the show is because because kevin spacey's character overtly uses the media as a tool to spin his narratives Mm -hmm. of whatever he wants it's a very essential tool for him without the media he couldn't get where he is no so he plants these stories manipulates people you know forces people's hand to almost cover these things and then you have like the parrots that you see in the background like repeating what he ultimately wanted to get out there yeah and that's what that's the beauty of it because that shit there's such a marriage between the corporate media and the government it was like beautiful to see that like really intelligently Mm -hmm. woven into the story it was great yeah um that's all i had on the list for for us to discuss today did you have anything else um did you want to talk about first look at all yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll talk about that or a little bit. But while we're still talking about House of Cards, um, I mean, if anybody's like a fan of House of Cards or hasn't seen it yet and wants to see actual like high quality political, you know, drama, um, there's a there's a couple other shows. That, you know, the thick of it is a good British show. If you're not into British comedy, you probably won't like it. It's like very fast paced. Like the, the it's it's um, unlike House of Cards. It's like a total farce. You know, comedy style show. Mm-hmm. Where it's all about like an extremely verbally abusive like chief of staff for the um for like the british pm um and uh the other the other show that i would recommend out there this is an older show that was only on for one season mm-hmm. um but it's it's one of the most realistic shows about dc, DC ever made it's almost like half of it's almost like a reality show and the other half is a, is a drama and it's just it's a show about um political spin like master people who work at these think tanks who like advise politicians and it stars james carville playing himself and his wife pl- uh, playing herself as sort of like p- a political power couple that's hired to do like consultation work and like um it's made by steven soderbergh it's called k street and I think it was only on for like 12 episodes or something, but it's just a really interesting view inside like the behind the closed doors, like things that actually happen. And 
I think the reason it was actually canceled is because they used to be given inside access to the, all these buildings and they used to actually be able to go in and film house sessions and stuff. But once the, you know, people who were on camera, like um, Nancy Pelosi's in one episode and stuff, once they actually saw the show, they totally like banned them from doing it anymore because it was like, showed it how it actually was. It didn't even really embellish it. It was just like, this is how politics works. You know, they would show Howard Dean being coached Mm -hmm, by Paul mm -hmm. Beluga on how to like spin things a certain way and how to, you know, what talking points to use. And it was almost like too transparent. So that's supposedly that's why the show was canceled. Um, And it's, and it's kind of like this slow paced, you know, seemingly innocuous, boring, very slow paced ambient show about Washington DC. But it's like, it's almost, it was like too real. I think. Uh, Speaking of, just idiots like Pelosi um Feinstein of all people during the NSA there's like an NSA day of action that just happened and really the day of action was just call your representatives and write them like begging yeah, them yeah, to stop yeah. the surveillance grid it's like what else can we do unless there's like I mean and it, and it does I mean people do listen to these phone calls I have enough friends here in DC now who've like worked on the hill that tell me that like someone is listening like people do respond it might not be the actual representative but it's an aide who yeah. relays the messages to them and I think during the Syria build up they were getting like thousands of phone calls like all day every day from people all across the country just being like begging people to not bomb Syria and I think I don't who knows if that had anything to do with it but but in terms of this day what was really interesting is that I called like all the numbers for me, like in California and DC, even though we have shadow fucking representatives here and we have like no sovereignty, like Mm -hmm. not sovereignty, but we have no rights really, which is incredible to think about the fact that DC, the powerhouse of the world where the decisions are made, doesn't have, does not have political representation. Our congressman has zero power. Literally. All we can do is like invest, like, like, my friend Eugene Perrier, I'm going to give him a shout out right now. He's fucking amazing. He's absolutely brilliant, dude. Like on every issue, he's like absolutely incredible activist. He's running for city council. I'm going to help out his campaign any way that I can. I'm going to get him on the show and talk about it. But like, that's all we have. Like he's going to try to legalize marijuana and stuff here. Like he's going to do like a lot of radical things if he gets in, you know, on the heels of Shama Sawan getting elected in Seattle. It's not that out there for like someone from the green party to get in a city council but that's really all we have which is crazy to think about but anyway on this day of action got a little sidetracked on this day of action i was calling all the numbers leaving the messages i always say i'm calling on behalf of a room of like 50 people i always try to like build it up Uh i'm like we all say that (laughs) but like diane feinstein and uh, was the only number that didn't it cut you off you weren't allowed to even get through to anything like not even like a stock answering machine it was just like thank you for ring, calling diane feinstein's office have a good day click i was Whoa. like what i was like you cannot like she has cut off like any avenue yeah. whatsoever yeah well she it's amazing I mean, she is one of the worst examples of like the type of enemies that you know with our political persuasion faces like she is a democratic congresswoman from the bay area yeah who has repeatedly voted to like increase our military empire mm-hmm. at every turn mm-hmm. and her husband is a defense contractor who makes millions and millions of dollars a year on the same contracts that she votes on and she's it almost the biggest should be it seems blatantly illegal right what just what her and her husband do together but somehow it's not and that's just really bizarre to me that it's not even like a secret that, that her husband is like immensely benefited from her votes 
you know. You want to hear something else that's crazy? Or senator, right? Insider trading is legal if you're a congressperson. Wow. Do you know that? No. Congress people can legally insider trade, which to me, they should be the only people that shouldn't be able to insider trade. It's like Congress people should be like, that should be illegal for... Like I could, my friend argues with me all the time about how insider trading should be legal because it could give people like power to get in on things that are going on. But I was just like, by the definition of insider trading, you have to be an insider to know that things are going to happen to like make money off it. So like you can't like give empower, you can't really empower like a farmer in Idaho and be like, look, like just pay attention to like all these trends and like you can like make money too. Like that's bullshit. But the fact that Congress actually makes shit happen and can like make yeah. money like so egregiously to me is so mind-boggling that that's legal it is really really strange there's 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 this shadow lobbying complex going on like on paper the amount of lobbyists in dc is like minimized year after year in the last three years it's gone down but basically it's because all the lobbyists are taking themselves off the lobbyist registrar and going underground as unregistered lobbyists and they're just like taking over. There's like hundreds of thousands of lobbyists in the city right now infiltrating everything, writing the bills. There's no law that says you have to reveal who's sponsoring bills. None. Um, it is absolutely amazing. It's just like a semantic game. I mean, it's like they're lobbyists but not in by label. They're just right. like not registering... They're doing the same kind of work. I mean, and it's it's just strange to me. Like someone like Tom Daschle, I was just reading about how he basically was, you know, after he retired or whatever, he started being like a lobbyist. I don't even know if he was like well, a registered lobbyist, but like he became part of like a cons- consultation, you know, like one of those like think tank, like bullshit company name, you know, front groups or whatever that essentially does lobbying on behalf of a bunch of different corporations yeah they call the loophole actually uh, by his name because he's like the most like yeah he's like the biggest offender they've like called it like something well it's like they use him. these third-party probably companies a lot of like corporations do as like middlemen where it's like not even like you know maybe it's not technically lobbying in name but it's it's essentially the same thing i mean all it's just buying influence over our government i mean that's it's it doesn't need to be called lobbying you know and it can be done in a lot of different forms it's just basically bribery. Yeah. I mean, you know? it's legalized bribery. Yeah. And this guy, Lee Fong, I'll, I'll link this on the timeline right now. He's an excellent journalist who just did this huge expose on the shadow lobbying complex. But he was talking about the most crazy thing during his investigation is finding out how there's no accountability for the unregistered lobbyists. Like there's like faux ethics, like mm-hmm. oversight to like the lobbyists that are registered in the system. And then he was like, mm-hmm. cause I asked him, I was like, how come there's no like house ethics committee following up on the unregistered lobbyists, trying to force them to register at least mm-hmm. when they see that they're actively lobbying, like violating the law. And he was like, that was the craziest part. He's like, there's literally like one secretary doing administrative work. Like, even with the registered lobbyists. He's like, they have zero resources in there, like almost purpose, I mean, purposefully. Like what what incentive would it be for Congress to give themselves oversight on what they like thrive on? Yeah. Which is just bribes. It's like... (laughs) But Abby, the McCain-Feingold amendment, what was that bullshit about? Two of like the most establishment, like fake ass politicians trying to pass them like, or was it like the Sanders, I don't even remember, but like, wasn't there some big push to like remove 
like some big show of ethics like we're gonna like remove uh, i don't know but i know lobbying. but sanders is kind of a good he's a good guy i don't think yeah maybe him. maybe i'm maybe he wasn't involved in this McCain Feingold. I, yeah, I don't know. Maybe you got getting the thing wrong, but it wasn't McCain Feinstein. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> um, yeah. So that it's just there's so there's so much going on from all sides, and uh, you know, on the heels of this investigation that Darjamal did about BP and their empire of trolls, how BP like hires a PR firm, like m- hundreds of millions of dollars probably investing in this PR firm that literally like has an army of trolls online to threaten and like harass and intimidate and stalk people. Like, you know, like people talk about gang stalking, like corporations are like doing this shit online, <laughs> like for reals, dude. Yeah. Like, like this shit is like happening and mm-hmm. it, you know, you just got to keep that in the back of your mind. Like, if you're like posting things, like if I'm doing things on breaking the set that's attacking BP all the time, attacking Monsanto, attacking, you know, we don't need to just worry about, not that I'm saying to worry about it. I don't worry at all. I don't live in fear about anything. However, what I'm saying is like, it's not just the government that's like, like corporations are also like having armies of trolls like to shape influence online mm-hmm. and oh, shape absolutely. PR. And it's just, it's just necessary to keep that in mind, whether it be like Monsanto, like Lee Camp was telling me that every time he does like an anti-GMO video, he'll get like very like weirdly similar stock responses from people. It almost looks like a, like a template, like a troll template or something Uh from people who are like, oh, like, you know, from like seemingly real accounts. Like it's, it's a very real weird world out there. Yeah, I don't think there's any reason to doubt that sock puppets accounts are employed by anybody with a lot of influence or money that wants to protect their profits or their power. I mean, it's not if, if you know, if if it, just like you you've always say, you know, if they send in like activists or people police to infiltrate like activist groups of like 45-year-old democrat, you know, anti-war people who just sit and drink coffee and eat cookies then how it's such compared to that the effort is so minimal to actually just like try to troll someone into oblivion online because that's like i mean you couldn't you can ruin somebody's reputation by like doing certain things to them online i mean like it's not it wouldn't be that difficult if you had enough time on your hands and enough resources yeah like if i criticize the israeli government which i do all the time and i'm extremely pro-palestinian and if you get like a shitload of like anti-Semitism, like overt anti-Semitism, like on the threads of like, let's say my Facebook and this and that, like I look like an anti-Semite yeah. and I'm like linked into this toxic movement where now Zionism is, I'm sorry, where if you're anti-Zionist, you must be anti-Semitic. Or if you're like speaking out against the Israeli government, then you must be anti-Semitic. And it's because of these people, real or not that have completely poisoned the well and has made it like indistinguishable line. Well, I think that you've just hit on something. I mean, I mean, I was even really surprised to see, you know, I see anti-Semitic or Holocaust denial stuff on occasion right. on the internet. You know, it's like kind of like goes with the territory of YouTube. Anything political is always going to have something about the Jews or something like right. that on it. But honestly, I think Israel has even been caught doing this. The Israeli government has been caught trying to smear people who are anti-Israel and in, in claiming that they're either Holocaust deniers. Like, 
like smearing them by like spreading like um, false, you know, innuendo or like like smear campaigns that don't look like they're coming from them. And like uh, people like the ADL, you know, they exist out there to like paint, you know, people who are anti-Israeli government as anti-Semitic. But like, you know, just in theory, if I was the Israeli government and I was pissed at some news reporter constantly, you know, going after us, um, you know, what would be a better weapon against that person than making them seem like all their fans are anti-Semites? Like, it's actually like when you think, you know, it almost makes you think of House of Cards because when you yeah. watch the Frank Underwood character yeah. in House of Cards, like, this is how, this he, is how thinks. he thinks. And like, this is, and like, when you think about the sort of the way the game is played in on these terms, it's like with the digital age, like you can cause a fucking significant amount of damage by not, using any like physical manpower at all and like that's this that is truly scary to think you know the internet it's all underground now what it's all underground it's not you don't even need to like do anything physically no just like, like we've it, you know just like the, the snowden leaks proved just like we've always suspected and talked about that because you know we you know something like internment of all the muslims mm -hmm. like an internment camp like we did for the japanese would be out of the question like society wouldn't accept that they don't, but it's like they don't have to do that now. They can just more heavily surveil people who are Muslim, and that does the same job. You know, it's like if any of them happen to be spies or whatever, we'll be you know having them under heavier surveillance and, than the average citizen. And guess what? A judge just ruled that that completely insane dragnet spying operation that the NYPD was committing outside of their jurisdiction in New uh -huh. Jersey constitutional. Really? Yeah. A judge just said. This was the reason that he gave. It's very Orwellian. So the plaintiffs were all like Muslims in the community uh -huh. who were like, we found out that the NYPD was like going outside of their jurisdiction Chris Christie in another ever say state. About that? No. Interesting. I mean, not that I know of. Maybe yeah. he did. All I know is Chris Christie isn't stopping stop and frisk, even though he has like a black like family. It's Do like, they, dude. Wait, wait, wait. Chris Christie. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh my God. The Bridgegate. Okay. I'm thinking of, I'm totally thinking of the uh the new <laughs> yeah well no chris christie's the governor of new jersey yeah, yeah. that's sorry, what i was wondering sorry, if he had bad, any comment bad. on this no my case. bad i'm thinking yeah. of the the um uh, why can't i think of the new york replacement for bloomberg i can't even think of him either i don't fucking remember who is it oh my god de blasio bill de blasio okay no chris christie has not i as as far as i know has said anything about this but but point being is the nypd goes over into another state spies on all the mosques in new jersey mm -hmm. totally unwarranted dragnet surveillance probably like tailing muslims as they go home and stuff too i mean i'd imagine it's not just at the mosque yeah. that they're tailing muslims like a clear cut and dry case like I, I i can't imagine being a lawyer like going through constitutional law training and thinking that that is somehow justified and the plaintiffs this is what they told the plaintiffs the spine didn't hurt you Therefore, the only thing that hurt you is the information that came out about the spine. They're like, the only thing that hurt the Muslim community was that they knew about it. That's what the judge said in oh, his so like, like disposition. Oh, so it's almost like if you don't know that someone's yeah. spying on you, then, yep. you're, then like you're okay. Yep. It's like, oh, well, you guys didn't get personally affected by it. And he was just like, well, the judge rationalized it by saying, how, are, how else are we supposed to catch terrorism if we can't like surveil mosques like it is very strange like this judge is like is he federal crazy judge? <laughs> yeah, sounds like yeah, he it's must a federal been, yeah. judge it's i mean it makes judge. me think that it's one of those you know remember how alberto gonzalez got eventually had to resign because he was caught like trying to reshuffle things internally and basically make 
remove Democrats from their federal yeah. judicial yeah. positions and replace them with Republicans, or at least just people who would toe their line. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it makes me think that there are federal judges that are in place who are just almost by design, like cases get sent to them who they'll just like, you know, side with the government or whatever. But I still believe there are, I mean, like in certain jurisdictions or like places around the country, like there are federal judges who will like actually do their real job. Like who are yeah. out there. It's just like, well, like there's the judge, not there's also a judge who said stop and frisk was unconstitutional. Yeah. And like, you know, I mean, there are, there are definitely judges who will do that. Like for the NDAA thing, there was that judge, I think like Forrester or something who was like, this is unconstitutional. Like mm-hmm. you can't do this. Mm-hmm. And Obama came down immediately as that judge said it, squashed it and reinstated it. Really? Yeah. Oh, this wow. was like this. And this is why Chris Hedges is now trying to take the case of the Supreme court. And this is their final chance. If the Supreme court yeah. doesn't take the NDA, it's law of the land. Yeah. That's and, it. And, and I mean, the Supreme court is a total bullshit anyway. Yeah. Like and guess, just, guess what Scalia just said to a think tank or some shit, or is like speaking to some student group. Snowden should be executed. <laughs> <laughs> he yeah. said that it's not, he said, if you don't think internment camps can't happen again, you're deluding yourself. Why would a Supreme court what justice that say mean? that? He was like talking about the internment of the Japanese and he just said like if he just like threw it out there. He was like, if you don't think that something like that's going to happen again in the U.S., like you're you're like you're not, you know, you're like delusional. Yeah. It's like, well, I mean, wow, I, that's he's, weird. He's probably right. <laughs> it's just weird. That, like, <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, I mean, he is. I mean, yeah, it was just strange that he would say that. It like, is strange. It's as strange as Richard Clark going out there and suggesting that Michael Hastings death was a car like hacking. And like, like a, fueling all this like yeah fu- it's like whoa wait a second so you're someone who was previously like really just pretty much middle of the road and like not that outspoken or anything but now you're telling us that all of our paranoia about the federal government's evil is actually like totally justified i mean it's just really it is very odd when officials come out and say things like that it's really strange you know, it's almost like something alex jones would say or something right you know like it's i mean an internment camp is essentially like what people talk about now as being like these fema camps right, or right, whatever right. so it's just it's it's creepy but i mean i think the best hope we have is that we haven't really seen a, a really strong populist uprising here that you know got really to the place that it needed to be i think to be like a genuine threat to the establishment and you know if occupy has a sequel you know hopefully before obama gets out of office uh I hope people will actually just be stronger this time, you know, and not yeah. as intimidated by the police. I think that's like that and digital like activism are two main avenues right now. And, you know, first look just open the, the new media organization by Glenn Greenwald and Pierre Omidyar. Omidyar. And, um, you know, I have some faith and hope in that too. Um, I think that, you know, it's really good that we have like a media organization that's so credible, you know, with people who are actually like credible journalists, like writing about s- these subjects like regularly. I mean, that's a really good thing. Um, it'll be easier to marginalize something like that. You know, I, I think it would almost, I don't know if it would have been a better strategy to just keep giving these stories over to like other mainstream news outlets, but, um, you know, it seems to be working, you know, it's re- people are reporting on it but it's not getting as much press as like it was when it first happened still but um you know even something like first look where you know there's there's some criticisms to be said of that like wikileaks was 
critical of them for not sh- uh, having available the full, you know, the full documents that they were writing about. Like they would have little sections and truncated like screenshots of the documents. Um, you know, I think those those should be made publicly available. I'm under of I'm I understand why they're not releasing all this stuff at once. I can understand that because it's created a very long. It's made the story have legs that like no other, you know, WikiLeak dump had. But for future reporters, for other journalists who aren't in this inner circle of like the Glenn Greenwald club, who don't work for First Look or don't have the privilege that he does of having these documents, it's sort of doing them a disservice to further investigate what's in the documents and what they actually mean. Because, you know, someone like Jake Applebaum or like a computer expert, I don't know if I trust First Look or Glenn Greenwald to actually have these people on hand to like, be able to technically understand the full implications of what they mean. You know, like, you know, they need to hire someone like Jacob Applebaum, but it, it brings me back to the point that ultimately I feel like those need to be given to the public, you know, even if they're going to still trickle them out, like they need to be made available. And yeah. And, and Sam made a good point last night when he was saying the cross referencing, like all the WikiLeaks documents that were dumped, like last year, Stratford emails, these tens of thousands mm-hmm. of documents they didn't make a big impact when they came out sure but, right yeah. right yeah of course and that's and that's of course the flaw in doing it all at once however when you don't make the actual raw files available then basically it's just up to the person who's interpreting it and editorializing that yeah. story that's mm-hmm. that's the final thing that we take away from it yeah instead of having other journalists maybe with a second eye it's like edit an editing process i mean you need like dozens of different eyes on it to spot something that maybe you didn't see before yeah um or someone to cross-reference something years later that went back to the first prism release of or like course like an insignificant detail yeah, like, on one of the like like the yeah. you know the prism slideshow i think is the only like full document that i've seen that they've released but i mean for all you know i don't even know if that was the full thing but like yeah like an insignificant tiny detail that is of complete disinterest to the people reporting on it could be a huge thing for someone to connect later on down the road, you know, that could be seen in an unredacted form or I don't even mean unredacted in the sense that they should release these without blocking people's names. Like I can understand why, you know, WikiLeaks did stuff like that. Me personally, I have a little bit more of like a, you know, anti-government revolutionary spirit just in my, my idealism in, mm-hmm. inside me. I think these motherfuckers should be called out so people can go to their fucking houses and <laughs> protest them. I'm dead serious. Yeah. Like anybody who's in these documents, they need to be held accountable. Right. Period. Like, and I can understand the the more tame approach where it's like we don't want to put these people in the crossfire or within like the public irie. But I mean, I think they deserve it. They're working for a completely criminally corrupt government and doing things that are blatantly should be blatantly criminal so i mean you know if anybody out there is listening to this who's a whistleblower leak the fucking documents unredacted everything because these <laughs> people are working i mean they are the equivalent of like you know the lower tier they're the little eichmann's you know that um that what's his face talked yeah. about ward churchill when he when he said that the world trade center attacks were deserved because everyone who worked are little eichmann's i don't have that quite strong of a view of of the people who worked in the you know the financial industry or the different industries that were took were tenants of the World Trade Center, but I do think 
that anybody who's part of this NSA spying apparatus, even the most insignificant person's name, should be revealed. So at least we know who these people are. I mean, to me, they're already spying on us. I, at the very least, want to know who the fuck they are. Yeah. And I think we deserve that, too. Ultimate, I mean, we, I don't think it should that like out of line to suggest that. Like, Yeah, you brought up an interesting point earlier, which is... Well, first of all, let's talk really quickly about the the first article that was published on First Look, which was about how the U.S. government, you know, we thought that the drone wars were being carried out with, like, algorithmically, and we were fucking right. I mean, not only that, but it's even worse. It's yeah, like, not only are they based pattern. on, like, yeah, not only are they basing strikes off just purely, like, signature mathematics, but the mathematics that they're getting that on, like the information that they're getting the signature strikes on are coming from phone locations and metadata via cell phones. Like mm-hmm. just picture how how unreliable that is. Like if you're a so-called terrorist on the ground and you just like leave your phone in someone's car or like plant it somewhere, like that, that a drone can just bomb wherever the fuck this phone is. Mm-hmm. Like I, that is just so mind boggling to me. It just shows you like, the level of detachment from like these entire countries like that our government just does not give a shit Absolutely. like it's such like an insane disconnect that that's like that wouldn't they wouldn't try harder to like find out like who these people are they just don't care they're just like well it's safer for us to just drone bomb the entire household that this phone is nearby or like a wedding party convoy if like the phone was like in the hands of someone who was mm-hmm. It's like the... uh, You'd almost like to imagine, I mean, even as cynical as I am, I kind of imagined it this way in my mind, that the government, you know, you know, would would be looking down at a suspected terrorist cell or whatever with satellite imagery and sort of, you know, over a, a, you know, over a series of weeks or months even study their behavior you know the routes they take you know what it looks like they're bringing into their homes or or like moving in in vehicles and stuff like that and then determine through you know and then maybe use cell phone location data to like confirm the absolute like pinpoint location or something like if they lose track of them they need to find them again but apparently that's not even really what they do no it's like all it seems like they need to know is the name of someone and that's it which is just really (laughs) odd like it makes me wonder, like, where are they even getting the intelligence in the first right. place to suggest that these people are dangerous? And that they're if worthy they're to all, be if executed. Yeah, and they're relying entirely on GPS location data and not actual on-the-ground intelligence. So does that, even, does that mean that they don't even have any on-the-ground intelligence at all in the first place? <laughs> and if so, like, that's just really, really disturbing that, like, you know, there may be, like, tapping into random people's phones over there or something. Like, I don't, I just don't understand how are we even determining that these people we think these people are threats if that's if that's even what we're doing at all you know like i even question that layer of propaganda that like that people inside the government who are ordering these strikes actually believe that these people pose a threat to the united states and you know what we were talking about this earlier and i wanted like to like a tell, physical threat yeah yeah of you know, course maybe an ideological threat right no like no no, no, no of none of these people are physical threats to this country yeah <laughs> you kidding me the fuck like they're all ideological threats that's it and they're not even threats they're just like potential threats like maybe 30 years down the line like these people are just like whatever it just it, it's completely erroneous but you were saying about we we're on our iphone or i was on my iphone and i was talking to you about how i couldn't even take out the battery 
and because we were talking about how no one really needs to even go and do like sneak and peek or like go in and like plant surveillance at anyone's house anymore because everyone just carries around their cell phones me too i carry my cell phone all the time i use it as my alarm clock for god's sake i mean it is with me nearly everywhere and yeah. it's in my house where it could pick up if if need be i'm not saying that i'm surveilled that's not what i'm saying what i'm saying is that it's so easy to do that remotely uh-huh. and you can't even take out your battery on your iphone and and robbie you were saying this earlier and it's such a good point is that all of this nsa surveillance that's being done on the world is probably all being transcribed audio wise into computers well, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, like, it wouldn't be that much resources to analyze or at least, like, select a segment of the data, their yeah. phone call data they're collecting and analyze the actual speech and convert it to text. Right. You know, and if there's a transcript fuck up, if the algorithm they're using fucks up, then the, all they need to do is just listen to that part of the call right. to make sure that the transcript right. is accurate. Because, I mean, like, on my, this new cell phone I got, I mean, it doesn't, it's just like a Samsung, you know, Android phone the voice recognition on it is like pretty fucking good. Like it's pretty accurate. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, a cell phone microphone, which is a piece of shit. Yeah. So like, these it's are not- like direct, like, I mean, they're way more high powered uh, technology. Yeah. I mean, I mean, and I, and I really don't know. I mean, that part of the, you know, Snowden hasn't leaked anything like that yet, but like with the technology that's available to us now, it's a very real possibility. And it's like, if it's a possibility, they're probably trying to figure out how to do it or they're already doing it, right. you know? And that's, it's just really, yeah, it's just really creepy. Like they don't even, they don't even need to listen to our phone calls. They really don't. A computer could. And that's what it'd be just like Google employees don't need to read our emails to sell us ads. A computer, computer reads right. them apparently and, and sells us ads based on that. So it's just really strange, you know? Um, let's, let's talk about a little positivity before we sig off here. Uh, the antidote to defeatism, we talked about this last time, but, you know, Edward Snowden has changed the world. One man has completely changed the course of history. Um, it takes, it really does only take one person. And I'm not saying that like you need a trove of NSA documents to like make an impact, but I'm just saying, don't give up. I mean, we are chipping away at the corporatocracy every day more people are waking up every single day to who's really running the show the corporate collusion um you know the distrust of mainstream media is at an all-time high i mean that that to me is really encouraging like that shows that people are waking up and if you look at actual polls about healthcare, about like very general issues that are shoved down our throats as partisan hackery and like manufactured mm-hmm. dialogue on the mainstream media isn't really reflective of like how people truly feel about the minimum wage, about all these things. Like people really do want generally like these things. And and that's like the very bottom of what I'm saying. I mean, NSA is like a whole nother thing. You yeah. know, ending wars is a whole nother thing. Like I think the overwhelming majority of Americans obviously are on board with like huge issues that we can all find the common ground on. And it's like a, you can almost do like a circular thing with it too and and also you know believe at least i believe that if people are actually given the truth in the first place about you know like the danger that iraq posed to us they wouldn't have you know i'm sure if we would have taken a poll people would have supported it back yeah. then. but it's like the media is the one creating this illusion in the first place to get 
you know the people to think in a certain way so like we yeah the mainstream media just needs to fucking be as marginalized as possible because you know they're they they feed into it and then they perpetuate it and then they like keep us trapped in the in that box i was watching fox news the other day and i was like embarrassed at how i mean not how bad it is that's a given but Greta Van Susteren is probably like the worst TV personality I've ever seen in my life. Like she is, she has zero expression, zero personality. She like can't even really like dictate. Like her diction is so poor. It was just bizarre. And it was like so like, like stupidly scripted what she was saying. And I was just like, how are you a relevant journalist? Like I was just like, oh my God. I mean, I haven't really like watched her ever, I guess. <laughs> I was just like, what in the hell? Like this is... This is like prime time, like the most watched station, like as much of a joke as Fox is, like there's still a huge group of people in this country who rely on Fox for news. And like, I was just like embarrassed that that that's their leading like female anchor. I mean, at least Megan Kelly's like really smart. She's like very smart. She's a lawyer. She at least can like sound really intelligent. But I was just like, how did this woman, how is she like a relevant figure? It was really strange. I, I was just like tripping out on that. <laughs> Yeah, Graver Ancestron is is a weird one because yeah, she doesn't seem to have any charisma. It just seems to be like a, like she just was there long enough and like yeah. got in the door because like it was her turn or something. Like it, it doesn't make any sense at all. And the person who's speaking of Joe Scarborough flipping on the MSNBC side, yeah, the woman who's his counterpart is is a big new Brzezinski's daughter. You're kidding. That's his daughter. No way. Yeah. So we have Joe Scarborough, a former congressman, and the big new Brzezinski's so... daughter is like the two main anchors on MSNBC. Are you sure it's his daughter? Hundred percent. That's so bizarre. Hundred percent. I just thought she was like a token blonde nope. lady. That's fucking bizarre. Weird. Wow. I wonder if Morning Joe knows that she's gonna I mean, obviously his show is not I mean He's like the only show that's still on MSNBC that's not like a generic Democrat show at this point, too. Because he's supposed to be like the only conservative, you know, like he's yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, conservative yeah. or whatever. But like, I mean, his time is pretty running pretty short, you know, like you killed a, <laughs> you killed an in, a congressional we intern. We don't know that. You had to retire from the Senate at, as a freshman, which is very bizarre. He had a very promising career. And then here you are with a show on a network that is clearly trying to position itself as being like the counter of Fox News. He's his career is pretty much over, you know. It's kind of sad. I, feel, I actually feel kind of sorry. Don't for feel him. bad for him. Have he has you a seen really, his really... show lately? He wears these funny little glasses now, and he doesn't. He used to dress really nice and wear like a suit on, and yeah. shit. And now he just seems like this weird, fuddy-duddy, like weird guy who has like extremely bad like astigmatism like he wears like really thick glasses he's really it's, he's kind of pathetic <laughs> you should watch this sad uh, yeah i i don't feel bad for any of these people but what's amazing like rachel maddow some stuff that she'll do is like so good and cutting and then she'll just go and like totally toe the line for like the democrats and it's just like oh my god it's really really damaging really scary and my advice to people would just be to like totally tune out completely and just just go to places like democracy now breaking the set you know you, you can go to breaking the set and like first look for like very advocacy style like journalism you know 
I try to cover really like all bases here. Like that's what I do every day. I try to collect what I think is like mm-hmm. most relevant to human beings, like not only in America, but in the world or like, especially to Americans that we can actually empower ourselves with information yeah. and, and take action. And democracy now gives a very like unfiltered, um, you know, very like non-editorializing, like just raw information. And that's very valuable as well. Um, and you know, it's just it's just up to us to get get our information from a couple different sources, filter through it, find our own truth. But really, like the mainstream media is is a huge tool right now, and we got to really tune it out um, and really just take the power back in our own hands. Don't get sucked up into these uh, these black holes of like you know everything is a conspiracy. I understand the distrust in government. Believe me, we've all been there, and it's really great to have a skeptical eye. But we we got to stay really grounded. We got to stay really aware. We got to stay like really on top of our game here. Um, we can't get sucked into these like treasure troves of like disinfo. No. Shit. Online. And we have to be a little more strategic too. Like if we actually want to see this government change and held accountable for its crimes, we need to think of things as like, what is the most effective weapon to hurt, to cause them damage. And like, I think that's the way people need to, realign their thinking like regardless of what you believe if you believe in chemtrails if you believe in you know that all the school shootings are staged you know that's your prerogative i completely disagree with it you know i think it's a i personally think it's a waste of time to focus your energies there but as long as you can come up with something that from a strategic point of view can actually damage like the credibility of the u.s government who are you know who are liars through and through then do it, you know, try it and not in an illegal or like violent way. I just mean like ideological weapon, you know, like look at what Glenn Greenwald has done, you know, look at what Noam Chomsky does. Um, I mean, those to me are like, they're sort of like sharpening their swords, you know, every day and, and just stabbing the U S government. And the, and the way that you can do this without being like a scholar or famous journalist who already has this platform friends and families you know without being like an arrogant prick of course which is what i used to be like i used to be that person i used to be running around with flyers yelling at people in their face not yelling at people but getting in like really heated arguments that were extremely emotional on my end that's never the way to approach people i've learned the hard way after many many years that really like gentle just cutting through conventional wisdom like bringing up just the chemical weapons thing that we said earlier like just very subtly and injecting things in conversation with your family out Mm -hmm. you know just out with your friends like if they start repeating propaganda from the mainstream media just like very gently just ask them like why is that a red line like why are you outraged about this like is there anything strange about the focus right now on that like does it have anything to do with this it's like you can be very sane without going straight to the deep end you know like we need to really focus our efforts on like the people around us in our local communities and you know people like my friend eugene is like trying to take action in city council like i'm going to support him like he's really trying to do great things like it's time that we start supporting people who are like willing to step step out there as like semi leaders in in these small pockets and like support them foster that 
and just start like spreading information in the most gentle way possible. And like, if people are going to get you sucked into trolling online, like these trolly arguments where you're just like, your energy is sucked. I look at two kinds of people in the world. First of all, empaths, sociopaths, and everyone who falls in between. That's a whole nother conversation. But also people who suck your energy or people who inspire you and boost your energy. And of course, if you're like, you know, if you've had a girlfriend or a boyfriend for a long time, if you've been married, you can understand that someone can do both. Like someone can be draining and inspirational. Like that's Mm -hmm. not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about personality types that will latch on and literally like they're, it's like a mental disorder and they might not even know, but they literally like drain you. And if you get sucked into that, like it's mentally exhausting and draining for you. And like, you just have to ask yourself, is it worth having these people in my life? What are these people doing for me? What is it doing for me mentally to engage with these people online? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Is it hurting or helping me? Yeah. Or is it a mutually respectful relationship where you feel like, you know, this person is actually, you know, has something to offer you, but they all, but they're also putting out this, you know, vibe that you have something to offer them. And it's a mutually, you know, respectful relationship. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of people online especially have this weird sense of entitlement, especially in like the conspiracy, you know, sort of fringe political scenes that are, they're just so self-righteous that they just shoot themselves in the foot. And that's the, we need to have a little bit more humility or a lot more humility and realize that our goal is essentially the same, that we think this government is criminal. And like even the 9-11 truth movement and this stupid division that happened between sort of the 9-11 truth movement and, you know, thinking that Snowden and Greenwald are working for the NSA. I mean, that's really tragic because like the two factions are essentially believing that they, they can join together in that belief. You know what? I'm totally victim to that too. Like I'm so tainted and like hardened over the years and like especially getting victimized by trolls and like harassed so yeah. much like to the point where it's like I had to like shut down my personal Facebook account because I was getting like inundated with like like people like writing me on a daily basis that I couldn't handle it. Um, I've hardened to the point where I like I like have no tolerance for people who like come on and they're just like spamming me with like stuff about chemtrails and this and that and I feel bad about it because I we are all on the same page. Like we can find a common ground. And I don't mean to shut these people down who do have questions about that and who do believe these things. Like I'm sorry for doing that. And I'm victim to that. And it's just, it sucks because I feel like so many people have poisoned well for me. I almost like sympathize with people who've been turned off from like questioning nine 11 because of like the way that I've been assaulted from all these other fringe things. And I've been like, don't even talk to me about it. Mm-hmm. And it's really sad, and I see that, and I'm really sorry, and I'll try to be like more tolerant in the future because really, like we all are on the same page. The Tea Party, even not the co-op Tea Party, I'm talking about the Ron Paul real grassroots Tea Party movement, Occupy. Like all of us want fundamental things. We all want privacy. We all want civil liberties. We all want like imperialism to be over. We all want to like bring back the war machine. We all want to like fix this country. And it and like yeah, you can argue all day till you're blue in the face about capitalism and socialism. Like those are also divide and conquer mechanisms. Like we can cri- people say call me out all the time. They're like for someone who talks about reinventing the wheel a lot, you sure like to criticize capitalism. And I'm like that's the system that we're living under. 
Mm-hmm. Like I'm not going to spend all my time and energy criticizing like fake systems that we Did, don't we that do, don't that exist don't, yeah. right now. Yeah, it's like that's the crushing system mm-hmm. well, that's, on top of us right now. People get very uncomfortable, you know, when you cr- when you criticize the the system as a whole. It makes right. them uncomfortable because they immediately think they don't have a safety net in their mind where they know what like you know if you're advocate they like immediately demand that you describe an alternative right and that's just sort of weird to me because it's like when you criticize a piece of music or a piece of art yeah. or something they you know if someone doesn't necessarily like your criticism they're not immediately like well what would what do you suggest he, he what kind of drum sound <laughs> he put here instead of that one that you don't like <laughs> tell me now you know it's like well no i'm not i just don't like that drum sound it's like a music shit. hater yeah it's like, well, what drum sound would you, it's like, no, I don't like that drum sound. It's bad. And that's where my point of view ends. Right. And I think that drum sound should be changed to something better, but I'm not going to sit here and explain to you what I think that drum sound should be changed to to make the song sound better. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's childlike. It's just weird. It's like, I can sit here and criticize something on its face and not have to like come to describe to you an alternative. Right. <laughs> it's just, that's not how like critiquing works you know <laughs> or, or 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 actually the more the more relatable one is somebody will be like if you criticize a movie or something they'll be like well why don't you make a movie yourself you know it's like i don't know i mean i could i have the right to criticize this movie and not also be a filmmaker you know i don't know yeah it's funny it is funny um but i think that really like chipping away at just your immediate circles your immediate circles just chipping away at that conventional wisdom like take yourself out of like let's chip away at the establishment because that is chipping away at the establishment like stop thinking of it in the broad sense of like how can we defeat the government and like replace it with like a real democracy or like real civic society where we all have like representation i mean that is so far beyond where each of us individually can go right now that you need to really like focus in on like local efforts, either city council or whatever, like legalizing marijuana. Like look at what Colorado has done. Like that mm-hmm. is revolutionary. Like things yeah. are happening on a very local level with referendums, et cetera, that can be done, that can be initiated, that do chip away at the establishment and not even maybe even that big, just your friends and family without being totally arrogant and like super holier than thou, just start bringing up things that chip away at the conventional wisdom that are pushed by the establishment that continue to keep these myths in place because the myths that construct American society are the glue that holds everything together. The concept of American exceptionalism, the concept of like WMDs, the concept of the war on terror, all of these things together are the glue that continues to keep the empire in place. Mm -hmm. And if that glue is eroded, we have a much better chance of like really coming together to find the common ground yeah, and figure out what's the next step. I mean, it's much more, I could imagine much easier just the foundations of this country being like sort of just like obliterated and things sort of, you know, that's, I think that's like the best we can do. <laughs> like, and, and, and I don't mean like in a bad way. I just mean like the foundations of what make up this power structure and you know, what continues to give it power because ultimately like we've never had a situation in the United States where anybody has had to like overthrow the government, you know, since the American revolution. So it'll be something completely new, you know, mm-hmm. if it ever gets there. And we have, so we can't, we can't say, Oh, it has to be this way. It has to be that way. It's like, we just got to sort of like, 
just keep chipping away at it and be open-minded about what's going to happen. And once the opportunity presents itself, then we can really, you know, plan and strategize. As Martin Luther King said, like 90, 90% of, of activism and like revolution is done behind the scenes. It's not done out in the streets. It's like done preparing and like imagining and like strategizing like yeah. we're doing right now. I mean, just discussing our options and like how we can better equip ourselves. And if there's a second occupy, like things like this, and we have two barriers. If I just want to say this one last thing before we sign off, Margaret Heffernan, incredible woman, brilliant woman. She wrote the book on willful blindness. And I think there's two major obstacles that we have. One is willful blindness. Um, that is actually a legal term that was done during like, I think it was like through the Enron case that this term first came out legally that she found out about it. Mm -hmm. That that's like a legal term that if you have the information available to you, you are still culpable under the law to have not done anything about it or like to have acted on it and just yeah. saying like, I didn't know if that information is there. It's like, you can't go out and murder someone and be like, I didn't know that that wasn't okay. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's like, I mean, the affluenza case is a, throws a wrench in that one. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Oh, I was too rich to know. Yeah. It's too pampered my whole fucking life. But no, I mean, that, 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 that notion of willful blindness where people, this is another problem with the myths that hold society together is religion. And I, and of course I respect all religions. I'm, if you're religious, that's fine. Of course, all religion is rooted essentially in like being good to each other. And I commend that it's when religions warped and, and used to discriminate and, and kill people and stuff is when it's horrible. And of course the institutions are terrible too, but I won't get into that. I'm just saying there's different myths that people lock onto so much, whether it be political ideologies or religious beliefs that prevent them from seeing what's right in front of them. And we're all victims to it. And this notion of willful blindness where you can have the information there and you are choosing not to see it is a huge problem. And Margaret Heffernan said that the another big problem is that our brains are hardwired to process information much faster when it's something that confirms or affirms our preconceived notions about the world uh -huh. it's like we are immediately like drawn to that and like like digest it much quicker and yeah, are like course, you know it's yeah. like super like easier for us of course and we surround ourselves with people who do confirm that to us and she was like it is our duty to seek out information that contradicts what we think and they're like not because you're wrong but because that's what thinking is yeah thinking is is looking at things that actually don't quell with what you think the world is like constantly and and encountering people like that's why i think we should go out tonight robbie to a bar where a bunch of lobbyists are and like start conversation with like some dc lobbyists like not not necessarily lash out at people but like understanding who these people are because at the end of the day it's not evil it's human yeah it's the human nature that actually allows these things to proliferate in society and these great myths to function and hold water and like each of us individually make up the grand myth and you know it's up it's our duty to individually constantly look at contradictory information surround ourselves with people not of course all the time that would drive you insane but don't block it out understand that every single person that you pass on the street believes the things they do because of the way that they were brought up what they've been exposed to their whole lives and that's you know that's a big hurdle and and i don't do that enough of course i barely do it 
and I need to do it more. And like, I need to bring on people who I disagree with on the show too, but it's hard to like find people who are like totally like not stooges and yeah. like bring them on to like argue the other side. Mm. It's like, I want to bring on people you disagree with, bring on like military people. That'd be a good one. Well, you guys, we are making waves. You better believe it. If we weren't, they wouldn't be fucking spying on all of us. Like there, mm-hmm. there is a sense of terror. They're afraid. Of they us. are afraid of us. Never forget who really has the power in this country and in the world. There's revolution going on, and it's not necessarily in your face. It's a revolution of the mind. It's a revolution of consciousness. It's happening. It's happening all around us, and it's up to us to be active agents in that change philosophically, ideologically, in your communities. Just challenge that every which way. And it's working, man. This is this is our this is our biggest tool right now. And let's just let's just never let up. Um thank you so much for for bearing with us. It's been a long episode. We just tried to pack it all in here. Check out my brother's new documentary that just came out, American Anthrax. It's on Media Roots. It's excellent. Just really cool documentary laying out all the lies that we were told about the anthrax attacks. Check out Breaking the Set um, on YouTube. Check out MediaRoots.org and check out the SoundCloud timeline for some... um, links of what we've been talking on the broadcast i'm also having an art show coming up in san francisco on march 15th at um dsl clothing i I hope i got that right uh i'll I'll link to it when i have the evite but everyone check it out i'm I'm going out there for an art show my brother does shows all the time in the bay area he's performing on breaking the set next week so yeah a lot of good things coming out breaking the set um please donate to keep citizen journalism alive i i have an enormous amount of funds that i pay just to keep the website up functional our soundcloud accounts very expensive um i would love to start paying contributors but like we do we do need to get a constant flow of of donations in order to do that um and if you are a competent writer that needs very little editing would love to feature your work on mediaroots.org if you if you feel it fits into the site so give our admin who manages our our email account a shout out at info at mediaroots.org and they'll be in contact with you um about contributing thank you so much everyone for listening have a good time have a good night y'all